So this week, um, I believe you're in for a treat, and it's something that has been really um, just coming alive more and more inside of my own heart. I want to talk about this idea of the responsive life. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, this is going to be the middle portion of a sermon that Jesus was getting called the Sermon on the Mount. And what I'm about to share with you today as I continue from last week about this idea of responding to God is going to directly oppose what you've known to respond in life about. This is not a self-help message. What I mean by that is I'm not trying to teach you how to be nicer people, better Christians, or go and do uh, nicer things to people who are mean to you. I want to show you a disposition that Jesus, our Savior, had. And that same Jesus lives on the inside of every single one of you, and you're infused with the Spirit of God. So as you listen to my words today, realize, and I'll give you a quick example, actually, as we're here to set up, um, John uh, uh, back there, he usually has a cart. We put all of our stuff in the cart. We push it up the hallway, and we, we put it over there, and we take all the, the, the buckets off, and we start to set up. Well, as I was walking down this hallway, which has a little slant, my daughter comes riding on one of those carts, okay, uh, Carly. And so she's on it. Of course, she crashes into the wall. And as I said, well, let's bring it back up. And so she turns it around and she's pushing it. And of course, it's too heavy for her to push. And so I got behind her. I grabbed the bars with her and we started to push. And I just very quickly felt like the Spirit of God said, that's exactly what life is like with me and you, Justin is that I tell you to do that, and I tell you to go back that way. You're off track. You shouldn't even be where you are with that thing. Um, but my grace is the very thing that empowers you to do what I've called you to do. And so when you hear my words today, there's a certain um, thought that would probably come to your mind saying, that sounds great, but that's not reality. That sounds great, but I don't even know if I could do that. And I understand what you mean. I understand the thought process behind it, but realize there's a grace God's empowering presence that will allow you to do the very things that I'm sharing with you. I've watched it personally in my own life, and, uh, and, I, and, and I know that God continues to grow me, and I watch that it can happen inside of yours. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 says these words, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth, tooth for tooth. Now, this is something these people they understood. This is how the law worked. This is how their life worked. If somebody took your eye out, you have all allowance to take their eye out. If somebody knocked your tooth out, you have full allowance to knock your This is what generation after generation has taught us to do just as well. Now, we would all come back and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I never taught my kid to punch if they got punched. I never taught my kid to do this. We always taught them to try to be nice and we tried try to respond well, but when we went back home, we talked about people just like this verse tells us to talk about people. I can't believe they did that to you. You didn't deserve that. How could they do that? You know what? We need to bring them to justice. And so we would have this indignation that we taught and passed down from grandpa to, 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 to father, father to child, child now passes it down, and just generation after generation that has taught us one thing, respond to life. If life is bad, you can complain about it. If life is hard, you can now just try to ask God to change. And so what we do is we pass down, respond to life as it comes. And what it's doing is it's causing us not to experience Jesus. 
And I'm going to see, show you why in just a moment. There's a secret that I mentioned last week that Jesus had. Out of everything else that you saw him do, the miracles, the teachings, the, the uh, uh, following or people following him, him going to the cross, him going to the grave, him raising the dead, there's a secret about his life that I think sometimes we can easily miss, and it's this. He knew how to respond to one regardless. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he is here. He learned how to respond to the Father alone. Guys, this is a game changer when it comes to living life. Imagine a life of only responding to him. Now, if somebody came up while I was preaching and somebody came up and they just tackled me or threw me down and started punching me, initially I would have a, a new reaction, right? I would be taken back. I'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? I'd probably try to defend myself. And so I'm, I, life does that to many of us. It hits us like this. It hits us hard and we don't even know it's coming and it smacks us down and there's this initial rush of emotion and feeling. I get all that. I'm not trying to say change that. You shouldn't act like that. I'm saying once you get yourself back up, there's a response that happens to him alone and not to the one that slapped you, not to the one that hurt you, not to the thing that happened inside your life. Are you following me so far? It's called a responsive life that I'm learning how to each and every day to respond to him. And as I respond to him, you and everything else in my life is a recipient of what he now showed me. And so no longer am I moved by circumstances, no longer am I moved by what somebody did to me, somebody said to me, somebody did not do to me. I'm moved by one thing, I'm moved by him. And I remember making this statement some time ago, if you don't see it in Jesus, you didn't learn it from him. Now think about this. If you look at the life of Jesus and you can't see Jesus respond a certain way to people, you didn't learn it from them, even though you're justified in doing it. There's a justification in all of our actions to say, you know what, they did that to me and they deserve, and so therefore I'm going to respond accordingly. And I'm saying if you didn't see it in Jesus, you didn't learn it from him, which means you learned it from somewhere else. And then when we can just admit that and be real about that, that some of our actions, although justifiable, were not something we learned from Jesus, it can have a profound impact on how we live our life. So Jesus goes on in verse 39. He says, but I tell you, I want you to hear these words because these had to be shocking to somebody that goes an eye for an eye and a tooth to a tooth. Jesus comes in, preaches the sermon. He says, I tell you not to resist what? This doesn't even seem right. Can anybody agree with me? Like, it, it doesn't even seem like that's a good statement to make. But he says, do not resist an evil person, and whoever slaps you on the right cheek, what does he say? Turn the other to him. Now, just imagine listening to this. Okay, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You mess with me, I will mess with you. You don't mess with me, I don't mess with you. And now Jesus comes and he goes, hey guys, I tell you not to resist an evil person. And if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other to them as well. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give them your cloak also. It gets worse, doesn't it? Like it makes less sense as you read the whole passage. Like that doesn't work in America. Can I get an amen, right? That doesn't work. We're Americans before we're Christians many times. And it says this, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go two. And give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your, but you have the freedom to, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 7. It actually doesn't say it specific like this, but it says, if somebody from another land does you wrong, you have the right to exclude them from your own community. And it says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, which is somewhat easy to do, and an enemy, you should what? Hate him. Now look at this, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Has anybody ever had an enemy? Has anybody ever had somebody that has done you harm? Okay, Jesus is saying something radical. And he's not telling us, do this. He's saying, the only reason I can say this is because I learned how to respond to him. I'm connected to a source that allows me to love my enemy. Because it's one thing to try to love your enemy, but every time you see them, anger and rage and bitterness rises up. That's not love. Are we agreed? Yeah. When, you, when you see somebody that you don't like and you bypass them in the hallway because you don't want to talk to them, there's not that love there. There's avoidance there. And it says this, love your enemies and what? Bless those who curse you. And it says, do good to those who what? Guys, do you see the radicalness of this? This is not trying to do Christian things. This is what a believer, one who indwells the spirit of God on in the inside of them, one who has received the love of a father that overwhelms us, that actually changes the way that we see and we respond to mankind. And he says, you have somebody who curses you? I want you to bless them. Do you have somebody who actually hates you? Do good to them. Don't you wish, like, this was a different sermon? <laughs> and it says, and look at this. What does it say there? No, it says, talk about people who have spitefully used you. And talk badly about them. Until the other person that is listening is convinced. And they feel the same way you now feel. No, it actually says something very radical. It says what? Pray for those who spitefully use you and have persecuted you. Now, this is where, man, yesterday afternoon when I saw this, I was like, holy cow, that you may be, you know why? Because orphans respond completely different. Orphans are like this. Orphans are like, 
everybody's against me. Orphans have a chip on their shoulder. Orphans have to defend themselves and protect themselves and preserve themselves and get people around them to go, they did this to us, and man, I feel like I'm a victim. That's what orphans do. But he says, do you want to be a son? I'll tell you what, a son responds to his father. And when you respond to your father alone, you can bless those who do those things to you. You can actually pray for those who spitefully use you or persecute you. Now that's a life that is living irregardless of the person in front of you or the circumstances that surround you. You're now living responsive to him. Are you following me? I am not telling you to respond right. That's not the, that's not the goal. That's function. If I tell you, hey guys, start praying for people who hate you, write down a list that everybody hates you and start praying for them. That's only going to go so far. Probably last three days until you're like, this is stupid. Like there's no reason to do this. But when you respond to your father, and he starts to show you how he sees certain situations, now you're responding to his perspective. You're not responding out of something you're trying to do. And it says that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the unjust and the, and the just. You kind of forward this to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is Paul writing to a church that was very gifted. In chapter 12, he begins to tell them, man, here are the giftings that God uh, puts upon his people. And he said, there's a lot of good giftings, but he says, there's one thing you should go after more than every single thing else out there. And he says, it's to love. He said, it's the greatest of them all. You can have all the faith in the world, but have not love, and that faith means nothing. You could give every single one of your possessions away. Like, everybody would be like, holy cow, did you see what that person give? But they have not love. They have what? Nothing. You could worship God and have all these things that begin to worship God, but you have not love. It's nothing. And so this is not, again, about me saying, hey, guys, you need to love people. No, this is about learning to become love. Jesus did what he did, not because he was Jesus. Jesus did what he did because he was love. He embodied this thing called love so that nobody in this life actually moved him. He was moved by the love of the Father. And the Bible says that as he is, so are you in this world. Are you the savior of the world? No, but as he was love, so are you. And when you learn how to walk in this thing called love, you'll start to see that love is what? And love is kind. I'm not trying to teach you, hey, go be more patient because you know how long that's going to last. Go be more kind. I know that's something that may be a little easier than patience, but when you start to become love, and how do you become? By receiving the love of the Father. Every single day, Father, help me to become love. Help me to see people through the eyes of your loving eyes. And, and Father, help me to, to embody the very thing that Jesus embodied, that love is the thing that drives me. Now I start to become someone who is patient, someone who is kind. Look at this. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And look at this. It what? Man, I have books of records on people. That's horrible. And you know where those books are? Here. Right here in my heart. And the more that I become love, the more that the Holy Spirit comes and goes... Can we erase that one that you have in that person? Oh, no, 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 no. They do not deserve 
for me not to keep that record. Like, I may need to use that record someday against them. And the Holy Spirit says, let's erase it. Why? Because love keeps no record of wrong. This is a lifestyle, guys. This is not Christianity 101. This is about you learning how to respond to the Father who is the Father of love. Look at the next set of verses, 6 and 7 and 8. It's never glad about injustice, but it rejoices whenever truth wins out. And so here's the responsive life. You want to see what it looks like? Love never what? Love never gives up. When I'm learning how to respond to my father, I'm never going to give up. Not because I'm a good Christian, not because I'm strong in myself, not because I have great faith, but because I have somebody that I'm trusting is holding on to me every step of the way. And I realize that no matter what I go through, he's going to lead me through the valley. He's going to lead me through the mountaintop. No matter where it is, he's always there with me. So I'm never going to give up. I refuse to give up. Why? Because I I'm responding to one who is greater than my circumstances. Love never loses. And I know many, many of you have been in horrible church situations where the minister did something that just totally rocked your world or hurt your faith. And what I'm saying to you is ultimately at the end of the day, instead of responding to him, instead of responding to them, instead of responding to that, respond to him and love never loses faith. Love is always what? Hopeful. When I'm responding to my father, and this is what I love most, and this is what I love about pastoring, I can always provide people hope. I hear some very, very challenging stories, some difficult things that you go through, and one of the things that I can do is inject hope into that situation because love always is hopeful. And it endures through every single circumstance, and it never what? So as I become love, as I become the very embodiment of love, this is the result I start to respond to life differently. And so living by faith is always responsive. I want to say that again. This lifestyle of faith is always what? Responsive. And God is always the initiator. If you want to know the difference between, we've said it many times before, relational before what? Functional. How do you know the difference? And I'll tell you, and this is, came out of a conversation me and Maria had at the prayer gathering uh, a few weeks ago, is how do you know the difference? The relational one is always responding to what God is initiating. How do I know that I'm relational when it comes to prayer? Am I responding to what he's already praying for me or am I trying to get God to do something for me? When, when you're on the functional side, you're trying to initiate to get God to do something for you. So your prayers become functional. Your giving becomes functional. Your church attendance becomes functional. God, if I bring my kids to church, will you what? Fix them. Save them. Will you cause them to love you? So all I have to do is do this and God, you'll do this. No, I'm not coming to church to get him to do something. I'm not praying to get God to do something. I'm not giving to try to get God to do something. He's done so much for me and I'm living a life of what? Response back to him. And so when I wake up in the morning, I'm not trying to earn an A. I realize at the start of the day, he says, Justin, here's your A. You don't have to try to perform for me, live in response to the very thing that I gave you by my grace. 
And so now everything I do that day is not to try to earn something with God. It's to enjoy the God that is already close to me because of what Jesus did for me. So my entire life is responsive. So it's how, what's the degrees out today? Did it hit past five yet? Okay, you can, be, you can be like Mike or you can be like me. You can either complain like him or you can be like me and say, you know what? Amen. And so, listen, many of our... You're going to stay in service? All right. Jess just told me. She texted me and said to say that to you. So I can, I can wait for the day to happen to allow the day to define whether or not it's a good day based upon what people did to me and how it went. Or I could actually respond to the fact that he said, Justin, today is the day that I have made. Your response is simple. Rejoice and be glad in it. Otherwise, we look at the day and go, this day is a whatever day, fill in the blank. And we start to complain about the day. And I'm just saying there's a responsive life that it's not about your day. It's about the one who gave you that day, who gave you the grace to live through that day, who gave you the ability to see what he sees throughout that day. And now all you have to do is respond to him. All you have to do is respond to his leading and to his guiding you throughout that day. And so a lifestyle of faith, or another good word for it, would be rest, is me responding to him alone. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. Amen. You still may snap at your kids throughout this next week, okay? You still may (laughs) undercut your husband or your wife with some sharp words this week because of what they did or did not do. You may respond to a circumstance with a whole bunch of fear and anxiety, but what I'm saying is that once you have that initial reaction, it's learning how to respond to him. One of the things that I've watched in my own life, and I've watched it with many others, is that we're very quick to either run to a person or to God with our problem. Okay, let me, let me just play this out for you, just if you can bear with me for a moment. I get bad news, like we just got really bad news about Pastor Tiffany and his son, or her son. What happens is, I'm just going to go back, I'm going to rewind it back to when I, I saw Summer Ray in the hospital room, and I walked in, and I saw the wires, and I saw how frail she was. I want to personalize this so you guys know what this means for me personally, is I look at that and immediately fear, worry, uh, the unknown starts to speak into my mind. The unknown starts to speak into my heart. And now you, you start going down a trail of, well, what if she doesn't make it out of here? What's life going to be like if she doesn't change? God, will you? And so what happens, I take that fear and I immediately now converse with God about it. And so what we're doing is simply I'm just replaying worry and fear to him rather than, okay, I got blindsided, bad news came, and I'm not going to go to God about this just yet, because I know I, all I want him to do is what? Fix it and change it. That's the only thing I want him to do. I don't want to learn anything through this. I don't want to even go through this. I don't even want to endure this. God, I want this changed, and I want it changed right now. And so we go to heaven. We just start begging the doors of heaven, man, change this right now, because I don't like this. There's another way of saying, okay, this is what it is right now. Father, I need you to help me see what you see. 
I need you, Lord, to infuse me with your faith and your grace, the only thing that you can give me. Father, I need your strength right now so I can endure that, and I need your comfort right now so that in the midst of this crazy situation that I'm facing, I can actually rest in you. And now the father begins to go, you go, man, I'm proud of you, boy, because yeah, that's still there. It hasn't changed, but I'm going to give you my grace, and I'm going to give you my faith. Justin, I want you to start to, and he told me right when I walked in the hospital, do not be afraid, only believe. Okay, Father, that's what you say is my response, but I have no strength to do that. I don't even know how I can do that for my family, so Lord, help me to see how that's possible, and give me the grace to do that, and he comes behind the cart, just like I did with Carly, and goes, let's go back into that situation, and now I'm in that situation no longer am I freaking out about it. No longer is my prayer only, God, change this. It's God, all right, you got me. You got AJ. You got Tiffany. You, you, got, you got them. You're behind us. You're pushing the car with us. We're gonna make it through. So a lifestyle of faith is me responding to him. It's not going, uh, what's the best response here in this situation? Start to praise God. Well, I don't want to praise God. Okay. Well, praise God. Somebody told me to praise God. Somebody to praise God. But our heart, it's like the kid who goes, I don't want to stand up for it. And dad's like, stand up right now. We're worshiping God. I don't want to stand up. And then he stands up. He's like, well, I'm not standing up on the inside, right? It's like that whole thing. Like, <laughs> and that's what we do with Christianity. That's not what this is about. I'm not telling you to praise God when it's bad. The only reason you can praise God when it's bad is if you go to your father and say, Lord, help me. Show me how to do that. And then he infuses you with grace. He gets behind that card and goes, okay, now you can praise me. Not because I've changed it, not because I promise I'll change it, but because I'm with you. And so this lifestyle of faith is responding to three things. And I, I hate when I, I have to, I don't have to, but I hate when I have to put things in a number order. This is not a formula whatsoever, but look at these things. If I'm going to live this life of faith and I'm going to respond to him alone, what am I responding to? who he is. So we go through that situation that I just mentioned about summer. God goes, okay, Justin, respond to who I am to you. Well, who are you? I'm your comforter. I'm your sustainer. I'm your healer. I'm your father. Will you respond to me in those things? Yeah, but Father, you have to show me who you are to me in those things because I'm losing faith in that. That's okay, Justin. I'll reveal myself to you. And so a life of faith is responding to who he is and to what he has spoken. Well, God, I thank you for who you are, but what have you spoken? Justin, this is, these are the promises I've made to you. And this is why I want to encourage every single one of you. This word is alive. Every promise that was written over 2,000 years ago still has the same potent power inside of it that when you attach yourself to it, it has the ability to raise you up above your circumstance so you can see that his promise is true, that he is not a man that he should lie. If he said it, he will what? He will do it. And so you start to see the word of God now has the power to what? Change your situation. And so this is what I'm learning to do. Nobody is walking in fullness here. Only Jesus walked in fullness. I don't walk in fullness of this. I, I still respond to my wife, to my kids, to circumstances. But in those moments, I'm learning, okay, course correct. 
Who are you to me, Father? What have you spoken about the situation? And this last one I love. Christ, what did you do on my behalf? What is it that you've done on side of my behalf? And so let's say I'm overwhelmed with shame and with guilt and condemnation. Let's say I messed up. Let's say I went through and I, I crossed over a line that I know that I shouldn't. And so I'm dealing with shame and I'm dealing with guilt and condemnation. And I'm beginning to go, you know what? Man, God, the future you had for me, I probably disqualified myself from that. You know what? I, 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 probably, I probably messed up so much that my kids now aren't even protected from that. Lord, I, 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 I'm just not even a good Christian. I, I, I probably can't even pursue you right now because you're probably like, what are you pursuing me for? You just screwed up and now you want to pursue me? And so we start to respond to what? The guilt, the shame, and the condemnation. And I want to encourage you, the responsive life happens in those moments just as well, where I start to respond and go, man, what did the Lamb of God do on my behalf? The Lamb of God was worthy. Why? Because he was slain before the foundations of the world. And so when God looks at me, he actually looks at the Lamb first, examines the Lamb, comes back to me and says, Justin, you're forgiven. And so am I going to either respond to his forgiveness or I'm going to respond to the shame? Am I going to identify with the fact that I did something wrong or I'm going to identify with what Jesus did on my behalf and now I have to receive that by faith, although it's so difficult because I know I don't deserve it. This is a statement I made over a year ago. I think it's on the screen about, is it God's grace everything? Is that on there? Because of God's grace, everything that Jesus deserved, I want you to think of anything that Jesus deserves. Who was it given to? You and I. When Jesus hung on that cross, he took my place. He didn't just die for me, he died as me. And as he died on that cross and he was buried in that grave three days later, he was raised again for my justification. He now sits at the right hand of the Father on high. This now becomes true, which is what? By God's grace of Jesus taking my place, everything he deserved was given to me. And everything that I deserved was what? Received by him on that cross. Are you following me? This is life-changing because now I'm responding to God, who are you for me? What did you say about this situation? And Jesus, what did you do for me? And now faith is what? Responding to those things that have already been done on our behalf. And so there's two words that I want you to think about as the, the remainder of the message, exchange, I think these are on the screen, and identification. If these two words make sense to you today, your life could take a complete change of course just because of these two words. What do they mean? On the cross, something was exchanged for us. But not only is that true, our responsibility is, will you identify with what was exchanged? Or will you identify with what you believe you deserve? So look at what the exchange is. And I, these are not on the screen, but I want to read them to you. Jesus took my what? Punishment. And he exchanged it with what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness means 
I took care of the debt that you owed the father. I paid it for you. And the punishment for not paying the debt, I took that as well. Therefore, you can have what? Forgiveness. So there's an exchange that was made. So now in his account, Jesus' account on that cross, it says, deserving of, somebody say it, punishment. That's what his account now read. Why? Because it used to be where? In my account. So his account says deserving of punishment. Why? Because he took my place. Now when I get to my account in the heavenly account, I look at it and it goes, deserving of, say a little bit. Okay, thank you. My account now is full of forgiveness. And now I have to identify that that is my account before the Father. I don't deserve punishment anymore from the Father. Why? Because he received it for me. And now I have to respond to this account. And the enemy is going to try to tell you, you deserve what? You deserve punishment. So when you disobey, guess what God has the freedom to do? Yes, that's right. But the wrong answer is punish you. How many are fearful of his punishment? Now look at this next one. He was wounded, Isaiah 53. He was wounded so that in my account it can say, your wounds can be made whole. How many have wounds of the past? And we carry those wounds. Some of them are self-inflicted, and so if they're self-inflicted, we carry them as a, I'm going to live with this forever. Some of them are things that have done to you. I know Karen openly shared with us uh, last year that some things happened as a child, and she was, you know, uh, abused as a child. And so what happens is we carry those wounds with us and we say, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. And, and Jesus is saying, on that cross, I took those wounds so that in your account, it actually is healing that the Holy Spirit now can take you on this journey of walking in wholeness. So you're not living your life responding to what your dad did and to what your mom did or your grandma did or your boss did or your other pastor did. You're not living with, man, I can't believe, oh, I hate those people so much. No, he goes, there's healing that's available for every single one of the wounds that you have because I took that on the cross for you. It was in what? An exchange, but you have to identify with that exchange. Otherwise, you identify with, I'm so hurt. Look at this one. He became sin so that I could become what? His righteousness. So his account now says... And this is a tough one. I want you guys to study on your own. But he became, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became, he who knew no sin, became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. How did Christ become sin if he never sinned? He had to what? Receive it. And to his account, our sin. So, how do we become righteous if every one of our Righteous deeds is as filthy. I have to receive it by faith. I don't become righteous by doing righteousness. I become righteous by receiving his righteousness on my behalf. So now my account says forgiveness, and it says healing, and it now says righteousness. 
Are you seeing this account build up? This account now is what I'm responding to. Will I identify with this account or will I go, you know what? I'm so undeserving of that. I don't even deserve that, Jesus. Oh, this is what I deserve. Punishment, woundedness, and sinner. That's who I am. So far, are you following me? This is an exchange and identification. How about this one? He partook of death so I could walk in newness of life. He partook of death, which means what? Separation from the Father. He partook of that. He actually, on that moment, that's why he said, Eli, Eli, Sabakanathi. I think that's how you say it. My God, my God, why have you? So God forsake him at that moment. Why? Because the wrath of God was on him. And so he took death. He took that separation so that I would never, ever have to experience God, what? Forsaking me. I'll never leave you, Justin. I'll never forsake you. Why? Your sin won't cause me to leave you. Your sin won't cause me to forsake you. Why? Because your account is filled with what? Newness of life. And now I'm learning by the Holy Spirit how to walk in that newness of life. It's a new way of living. It's a new way in which I'm sharing with you. It's a new way of responding. I'm now living a life that is beyond what is just the natural. I'm living a life that is moved by the Spirit of God. How about this one and uh, the fifth one? He took my curse. He became a curse for me and took that curse that I deserved so that I could have what? His blessing. His blessing is only in my account because Jesus took what was in my account, which was the curse. I deserved the curse, but yet the exchange happened and now his blessing's in there. How many have ever felt like you have to earn his blessing? We live life striving for it. If I pray more, man, that guy must have his blessing on his life. Why? Because he prays well, man. He preaches well, man. He reads his Bible and he's just a, that's not how you get the blessing of God. You go to your account by faith and go, Father, I thank you that you're, you filled my account with the blessing of the Lord, which means what? His favor. And so all of the favor of a heaven is attracted to the Jesus in you. It has nothing to do with you. But this account now that I have, Deanna works at a bank, so I hope that this makes sense, is that this account now that has been transferred, somebody transferred all of these riches into my account. Forgiveness, freedom, healing, righteousness, and favor. It's accessible 24 hours a day, every single day, and yet we sometimes don't go to the account and we're over here going... Oh, Father, I just pray that you would heal me and that you would forgive me and that you would bless me. And I can just see him saying, I did. I already did. Go to the bank and receive it. And it's a life now of joy. I'm responding to what he already put in my account. I'm not asking him for something that he already gave me. He took my shame so I could be made his beloved. So when you walk with shame, you identify. When shame is on a person's life, you can watch it in their face. You know inside their heart that they're dealing with it. Why? Because they identified with what I did against somebody else. And so shame now is on their life. And they walk around like, that's just who I am. I'm this or I'm this or I'm this because of what I did. 
And Jesus is saying, I took your shame and I gave you something so much better. It's something that I had. And the father looked at me and said, this is my beloved. He said, I gave you that. It's in your account. And so he puts it in our account and now I have to identify with what? I am God's Anybody want to just try to answer that? Beloved. Yeah, thank you. Sorry if it wasn't clear. I am God's what? Beloved. And so now I start to identify with what he exchanged inside of the account. He was rejected. And he said, here's acceptance. So the first term is exchange. The second second term is is identification. I now, you now have a responsibility to identify with what was exchanged on that cross. Something happened on that cross that was taken. His account now is filled with something I deserved. My account was now is and is now filled with what he deserved. And now he says, I want you to learn about what it is to identify with that. And with what he did on the cross and the new man I become. So either I choose to identify myself with who I used to be in my past or I can identify with what Christ did on the cross. And as you look through the scriptures, these are statements that Paul made throughout his epistles that I must identify with. Paul says these words, I have died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I was made alive with Christ. I was resurrected with Christ. I'm enthroned with Christ, and I now reign with Christ. Let me say that again. I identify with this. At some point in my spiritual walk, I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I was made alive with Christ. I was resurrected with Christ. I am enthroned and seated in heavenly realms with Christ, and now I reign in this life in Christ. And so a life of faith is responding again to remember those three things, who God is for me, I'm responding to what he has spoken, and I'm responding to what he has done on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. I'm now responding to that. So no matter what news I hear, what I go through, what I face off with, my response is to who? Is to him alone. And so we're not trying to have faith. You're not trying to build your faith. You're not trying to grow your faith. Faith is the result of being in relationship with somebody that you now realize has your back. With somebody that you realize is always good toward you, always has your best in mind, and he's always setting you up to succeed, I now trust in that. So no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the consequences are of some things that I've done, I still must respond to him, not ask him to try to fix everything. And so remember, a life of faith is relational. It is all about relationship. It has nothing. Please hear my heart in this. Faith has nothing to do with your circumstances. Your circumstances are irrelevant when it comes to who God is for you, because he never changes, to what he has spoken, that never changes, and to what Jesus did for you, That never changes. Have you ever read in the Bible and you wished that the Bible would change according to what you're going through? Have you ever wondered, like, hopefully, 
This will be different when I read Psalms 23 today. This will be different. Where he says, the Lord is your shepherd and I will take you out of your bad situation. And it's like we want the things to change. I know you want to. And so we learn how to live a life and we sing songs like we did and I have no knock against it, but we're so interested in breakthrough. We're so interested in healing. We're so interested in in getting to our destination that we forget. It's who we're with in the valley that allows the valley to be sustainable. It's while we're in there that we can go, you know what, I can rejoice here. I can rejoice on the mountaintop because that's irrelevant where I'm rejoicing because the same God that is with people on the mountaintop is with me in the valley. And of course, he's leading you through, but we're so quick to get there. It's like, God, whoa, God, uh, come on, are we, uh, Lord, come on, okay? I'm not going there without you, so come on, let's speed up a little bit, Jesus, and let's go. And he's going, no, 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 no. Why do you want to get out of here so quick? Uh, this is stupid. It's stupid here. I hurt. I'm in pain. I don't want to be here. Like, let's get to a place that's better than this. And he's like, whoa, 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 but I'm here. And I want you to learn how to rest in me because I have something for you every step of the way. And so you're so quick to get to the destination, but there is something along this path that is so important to who you're becoming and what I'm preparing you for that I don't want you to miss it. All right, I have 10 more minutes with this. I want want you to see this passage James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. It's a tough passage to read and to look at, but it says, let him ask in faith. So James chapter 5 or 1, 5 says, ask for God wisdom. He'll give it to you freely. I want you to see why some of you are having trouble receiving. Receiving is the name of a game when it comes to Christianity, how to receive from the Father. And it says, let him ask in what? Okay, we just talked about faith as what? It's me responding to who he is, to what he has spoken, to what Jesus did. So let him ask in faith means what? Ask in a disposition of responding to the Father. Now when you do that, you can receive. When you ask in your circumstances are controlling you, it's not a place of faith. So I'm asking God for many things because I want out of my circumstances. And the resounding amen covers the entire. So what I'm asking God for many times is to get me out of here. Why? I don't like this. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like what people are doing to me. I don't like what happened to my daughter. I don't like this. So God, change it so I can be a happier person. Rather than I'm asking in faith going, God, I trust who you are to me. I trust what you said to me. I thank you for what Jesus did for me. I'm asking you. Lead me out of this wilderness. And it says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now, this is a hard passage to even swallow. For let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. What is double-mindedness? It means that I am unsure that the outcome is a good one. Why? God is always good toward you. He always has your best in mind. He's always setting you up to succeed. So if he said it, he will do it. But when I start to get double-minded, I start to 
I start to doubt that God has this thing. I start to go, huh? I think we're missing it here, Lord. Like, I don't think you fully understand what you're doing. And we get double-minded. And what happens is a double-minded. We're now unstable in all of our ways. Have you ever met somebody, possibly in the mirror today, who's a little bit upstave, unstable upstairs? Right? <laughs> like, it just seems like uh, things are not stable. And that there's a stable life with God, which is a responsive life to who he is. So faith is knowing. Are you ready for this? Faith is knowing that every problem has an attachment with it, with a promise. So this is the illustration that came to my mind. I hope it's very simple, but I think it will really speak volumes. So think about an email. Let's say you work for a corporation uh, for many years, and you get an email, and it says, we are apologize, but we have to let you go because finances are tight. How would you feel? Somewhat devastated. It would be a surprise emotionally, you'd be drained. You would now start to wonder, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay bills? And then you scroll down the email, and there's an attachment to it. You're like, huh, what's that? You click on the attachment, and it says, uh, we did our due diligence on your behalf, and there's another company that will hire you for more money in a better location. What would you feel like? You'd be like, how cool is that? What a great email. I'm going to forward this email to everybody so they can see what a great email this is. And I'm saying the same thing. Every problem that comes to you has an attachment below at the end of the email going, but I got an upgrade for you, Justin. That's good. And sometimes, this is interesting, we're so mad that we slap the computer and we never scroll down to realize there was an attachment. And what do we do? We leave, ticked off, put the finger up toward our company, walk home, and we tell everybody that you just lost your, and you just missed. Because if you just realize by faith you can see something, there's an attachment to that email that said, good news, there's a better job actually for you. And that's faith. To realize that God said every single problem you go through I've already attached something very good for you. And so look at James chapter 1 again, but we're going to go a few verses back. So my brethren, count it all what? When you fall into various knowing, knowing what? That the testing of your faith has an attachment to it. And it's called what? Patience. So let patience do what? It's work. And as patience does its work, it will make you what? Perfect and complete. So I hit a various trial, but I don't scroll down the email. What do I do? God, why did you let me go through this? God, I'm so mad. God, I thought you were good. God, this is crazy. I, I've served you and I, I've given and I've worshiped you and I spent time in your word and now this happens to me and now we respond to what? The email rather than the attachment. And God go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, you can count this all. Count it all joy. That's stupid. 
What am I going to count this all joy for? Just look at me. I just got fired. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But wait, wait. Count it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith is actually going to produce something called patience. And that's why Paul said in Hebrews chapter 6, he says that you would in, uh, inherit the promises of God, what, through faith and so faith says, God, I believe you. Patience says, I'm going to take you all the way to the end. And that's why you need patience. And I'm just telling you, there is a responsive life that is not denying anything you're going through. There's no denying it. There's no pretending. There's no put on a happy face. No, there is a place with God that you could bring yourself to God. And this is why I encourage everyone, don't bring your problems to God first Bring you to God first. Help him to see your problems differently. Then go get your problem and bring it in his presence. And now have a discussion because you can see it differently. And now you're responding to him. You're not responding to that. And you're not like just being Christianese with people. Yeah. Hey, how's, how are you doing, man? Great day, great day. Oh, great day, well, great day, great day, great day. <laughs> Everybody's like, what's wrong with him? Sounds like a great day, but we know it's not a great day in that family. You know what I'm saying? That's just faking it. There's no reason to fake it as a believer. Jesus didn't fake it, and we don't have to either. The responsive life. To trust in the Lord with all your, and lean not unto your own understanding. This is not, we don't compare ourselves with each other. This is not tomorrow, hey, you better start responding well. No, this is learning how to respond to your father. And I'm encouraged, Vale's sitting right here, uh, Byron and Anna are not here. If you ever have a chance to go to one of our gatherings, a gathering is a small group of disciple, it, the emphasis is disciple making. So this past uh, Friday, uh, Byron in that group, a lot of things are taking place in that group because they're small and you can minister to each other. Byron spoke over Vale's life and said, Vale, I believe that you're called to a different place or something of that sort not inside these four walls. Now, Val, as many of you know, she can sing, but she doesn't stand up here on stage many times. And, and just recently, she took what he said, and I'm saying this for a reason, because God is prompting all of you to do certain things. And we dismiss it a lot of times, or we say, no, nah, no, no, not me, no way. And he's prompting you, and what she did is she got in connection with Carl. Carl sings at many different restaurants around town, and He's been doing it for many different years, and she actually has sensed, and I know this is crazy, guys. I, I'm not trying to tell you, hey, everybody should do this, um, but she feels called to go and sing and represent Jesus in the bars. That's crazy, isn't it? There's a reason she has tattoos on her arm, you know? Um, but, but I'm saying that because God's called all of us to certain people and to certain places. And if you don't respond, if Byron didn't respond to God and to speak something in her life, and if she didn't respond to what Byron had spoken of her life, what happens is then we're just sitting in our own little comfort zones of what we're supposed to do. And I want to encourage you, listen to your father and listen to his voice. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for desiring to pour your spirit out on all of us. I'm asking us for you to teach us and show us how to respond to you alone. Lord, you've been so good to us. Help us to see it. You're always with us. Help us to feel your presence. And help us to become a people of faith.
that are not moved by what we see, but we're moved by you. That this is a relationship we have with the creator of the universe, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we bless you in Jesus' name, amen.